And I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll continue studying the Sermon on the Mount. And believe that God will open our eyes as well as our hearts to see things the way He wants us to see it and not in some crafty way that man can make us see it. Do you believe it because the Bible says it, not because anybody else says it? Now, in Matthew chapter 6, the last time we were talking in verse 19 through 21, we finished there the last time. It has to do with your treasure, and he said, for example, in verse 21, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. In other words, what your heart embraces is what is for you your motivation. It's what occupies your thoughts and your desires, what's in your heart. You know, the Bible says so much about the heart and various important things. It says, like, thy word have I hid in my heart, or with the heart man believes. The heart is central. It seems as though that's the target that that arrow of God's Word is aimed at is your heart. And because that is a controlling center in a man's life, your heart has everything to do with the kind of person you will become, your salvation. Everything will have to do with as a matter of your heart. You can believe things with your head or you can believe things with your heart. When you believe things with your heart, you don't necessarily always understand it, but you know it's real because it's in your heart. And you hold fast to that because God puts his word in your heart. So when he ends at verse 19 through 21 there about laying up treasures for yourself, it's a warning to us about covetousness and about not spending all your time in this life making money or getting rich and things of that sort. Because if you do, like you said in Proverbs chapter 23, I think in verse 4, labor not to be rich. And he goes in the next verse, say that riches have a way of, of sprouting up with wings and fleeing from your life without you realizing or knowing it was going to happen. Because a lot of people are really hung up on riches. Let's go to verse 24. And we'll come back after a while and get, and get verse 22 and 23. Verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Here's a word in the sermon by the Lord about your loyalty or your devotion. You have one life to live in this world. It's brief, like a vapor of smoke. And the older you get, the more you realize, as you look back, how fast time slipped by. Very brief, it seems. So you're only here for a while, and you're not here to, to be anybody but what God wants you to be. But you are here for that length of time. God wants us to know that while you're here, your, your goal is to serve Him. Is to do what He wants you to do. His Word directs you that way. That you cannot make it to heaven yourself. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot. The only way that anything works is if God is the center and the focus of your life and you're willing to devote yourself and bow yourself to His will and do things His way. Now, when you do that, you serve the Lord. But so many people get, and we all know this is true because it can happen to us, any of us, or it has happened to all of us. You can get distracted in your Christian pursuit. You can have a heart. You can come to the Lord with a heart. I really want to serve the Lord. I want to do what's right. And you begin this journey, and, and you try very hard initially, and, and this happens to most people. You really start out with a great drive and determination, and, boy, you're, you don't miss a meeting. You take notes. You read your Bible every day. You spend a little time praying and, and doing a lot of things. And then the distracting work of the devil comes, and you begin to get distracted. You get to the age, if you were young, where you can start getting a job, making some money. You make a little money. Look what you can do. You can have things, and having things means that you're doing well. And when you're doing well, you are respected, and people look up to you, and so forth. And there's this drive that comes into our lives, especially in America, to be rich and to be famous and to have this and have that and go here and go there and and have this independence and this security of money. 
And when you begin to live your life for that as a goal, the Bible says, Jesus says, that's what you're serving. You're serving the God of mammon. And you cannot serve God and material wealth. You cannot serve the God of heaven or the God of materialism. It's not wrong, as he's been teaching us here, it's not wrong to have things. But it really is wrong for things to have you. And it's okay for you to have extra money. God doesn't say we have to be, as Christians, we have to give away everything that we have. Because it's not wrong to save money or maybe you're looking to buy a a car or you're going to buy something else. And you don't want to borrow, but you want to save some money up so you can buy it. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure if you were really dedicated to God and he wanted all of your money to give to somebody else, you'd give it to them. So it's not like you are possessed by what you have or it's wrong to have material wealth or possessions that you have to give all of that up in order to be a Christian. Jesus only said that it's harder for a rich man to enter into heaven than it is maybe for somebody who's not rich. Money has such power over people. Maybe that you don't understand that. Maybe I don't understand it like some who have a lot of money would. Money has a way of making you feel things that probably are not true. You may feel secure with money because you've got money in the bank, which means that if uh, you wanted to go on a trip to somewhere, you could go. You don't really have to believe God to go. Uh, you've already got that. If you want to buy a new car, you can just go buy one. You don't have to believe anymore. You want to buy a new suit of clothes. It, just money makes you feel like, you know, I, I, I can, I'm doing all right. And... Because of that feeling that a lot of people get, they want to hold and harbor to, for what they have, make more of it if they can. They get into investments where you make money without working and, and taking advantage of the weakness of other people or the system. And uh, your money becomes a burden to them because they have to pay back. Well, they say you buy a house for $150,000 in 30 years, you pay back, what, four hundred or three hundred. You know, we had to talk about this coming home. That, that's really not a good deal. Uh, if the math is right, that's really not a good deal. But people who have money are often controlled. Take their time. Their time is often controlled by money. You have 8,760 hours in a year. If you sleep seven hours a day, If you only slept seven hours a day, or if you got seven hours of sleep a day, every day of the year, you sleep 2,555 hours. That's 29% of the year's hours. So a third of your life, the world's slipping by, and you don't even know it. And if you work 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, you get two weeks of vacation. But if you work 50 weeks a year, 40 hours a week, that's 2,000 more hours. So half of our time, half of our existence in this world is spent sleeping and working. And we usually work so we can sleep. And we uh, sleep so we can work. They both go together. You have to do that because if you're a man, for example, you have to support your family. You've got to make money. You should be the breadwinner and all of that. And so this is what you do. And a lot of people who do well, who try harder than other people do, it's not wrong to make money. Don't anybody think I'm saying that. Because I think you should make it if you can while you're young, but not at the expense of the gospel or your spiritual life. Never. You don't need to work on Sundays when there's a meeting or on Wednesdays when there's a meeting unless it absolutely cannot be avoided. Because I think there's some ways you're being tested in this life as you're young and growing. You'll be tested to where your loyalty is, to who you're really serving. If you think, for example, God sent you here in this church, and this is your church home, where the Lord sent you to grow spiritually and to develop into a useful vessel under the Lord, that it would be here that you believe God led you, and you're going to learn, and you're going to transition from an old dead life into a new living purposed life, if you believe that, and then you get a job offer in Houston or wherever else in the country you want, New York City. And the offer is you're making $30,000 a year now, and you can make $80,000 a year at the other place. All you have to do is move. And you might be surprised how many people 
will do that, will move for the purpose of making more money. Their life is not focused on the spiritual aspect or the great need I have spiritually as much as it's set aside in light of the great wealth I could have or the independence and freedom I could have if I could make that much more. Because you begin to reason. The devil's good at this, and so you begin to reason. Well, there's churches everywhere. Isn't there churches in every town? Yeah, there's churches out there. It's not the only place in the world for you to go, and we both know that. Except for me, this is the only place I can go. Now, I'm saying I'm speaking personally now. I could attend anywhere. I could be invited to speak anywhere and might go do that. But there's only one place on this earth that I belong, and it's not a perfect place, but it's where I belong, and it's here. Money is not worth what it is to lure me away from here to take that big church down in Louisville that they've invited me to go pastor. It's not worth it to me. And I can say at this time of my life, money has little value in light of eternity. You can't take it with you. You're not cursed if you're poor. You're not cursed if you've had to struggle through this life to, to totally depend on God. In fact, you're blessed. And whatever takes us away from this dependence on the Lord, of no longer recognizing that you're poor in the Spirit and your greatest need in life is spiritual, whatever takes you away from that is what you're going to begin to serve. And when you begin to serve your job and your time or you become a workaholic and your whole life has been on making money and being successful monetarily, and to do that, you will lay aside whatever gets in the way with the excuse that, well, you can always go to church. I can listen to a tape. I can watch the DVDs. Don't put me in a box, man. Spiritually, I mean, I've got a lot of options here. You begin to think that that way. And without realizing that you're not serving God, you're serving yourself because of the lure of what money can do for you. And you work overtime instead of going to church. You miss being with your family. You miss the time that you are obligated as a husband or a father to give to your family because you, the excuse is I can make a lot of money and give my family more, which you don't. And a lot of kids have grown up and said, I don't want your money. I wanted you. I didn't want you to stick a dollar in my face and $10 and tell me to take the keys to the car and drive somewhere to have a good time. I wanted you. I wanted to be with you. I think a lot of youngsters grew up. I think I probably did in a time in my life before I got to the older. Uh, there was a time I probably wanted to be more with my dad. I didn't care about his nickels and quarters. I knew where he kept them. But that, that wasn't what I wanted, just wanted him. I wanted to hear him, you know, things he would tell me and things he would say. I still remember a lot of stories my dad told me, a lot of events that he did because I paid a lot of attention to whatever he did and said. But that's what a father's influence on his sons and his daughters should be and, sh and, and he should have. But if you work all the time, uh, you're spending your life serving, in, in a degree, you're spending your life serving mammon with the excuse that the devil gives that, well, you can always, you know, this or that. One translation says you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot. You can convince yourself you can. That's the wisdom of man, and it's called the foolishness of man. You can convince yourself that you can, but you cannot. Another translation says that you may not be servants of God and of wealth. I don't think it's wrong to be wealthy. Jehoshaphat was a very wealthy man. Solomon had a few bucks. Zacchaeus was a very wealthy man. There were wealthy people in the church who did not have to give everything away at some point. First Timothy six seventeen charged those that are rich in this world. They had to be in the church. You wouldn't charge worldly people. They wouldn't care. But those that are rich, he said, not to be heady or high-minded, but to condescend to men of less estate and to not let your riches make you think that you're more important than they are. Because money can do that to people. It can take your time up. Like I said, you become the workaholic is. It determines your place in life. You go where the money is. I can't afford to stay here in this town. There's no money here. I can't make enough money here. 
I mean, I've heard these excuses just as you do. Of course, one of the questions, one of the responses to that is, are you sure the Lord sent you here? If the Lord has sent you here, is your life clean? Is there anything that hinders you from being successful financially or getting out of debt? I think the level of living for everybody who's a Christian is prosperity. Now, the people who write books against that think that we're talking about everybody should have three chickens in a pot, two cars in a garage, and have rings and gold fingers and all of that. That's not what I'm saying. To be prosperous is to have more than enough. It didn't say excessively and so, but some people do have excessive amounts, and they're not ruled by it. They rule that excessive amount. People learn to give, and, and as you give, more comes in. And the more you give as unto the Lord, the more God gives back to you. And here you are struggling, but giving, and God begins to give it back, and now you're doing well. You can't outgive God. You can't outdo God. It's just whether or not you want to live on his terms and trust him. I can make it here in Shelbyville, and I know that you can. And we just have to trust the Lord if you're struggling with that. If you need a job, a good job, we'll pray that God will let the heathens take the bad jobs and give the good jobs to us. There's some things that we wouldn't do as Christians, certain kind of occupations we wouldn't have, certain things that we would not do. And we'll believe that the heathens will get those jobs and he'll give us the other good jobs. Serving God is simply that. It is, it is trusting in the Lord with all of your heart and leaning not to your own understanding. And he says, in all your ways, acknowledging him and he will direct your steps. Remember, the first commandment, the very first of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, thou shalt have no other gods before him. And one of the gods, small g, mentioned in the Bible is a god of money, mammon. And you cannot serve both. You, you can make one, but you cannot let it own you. What do you say that money is the... Uh, no, he says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money. When you come to the place where you've got money you didn't have and you can't hardly let go of it, it's owning you. Because one of the tests I found myself personally in life is when you have more than you normally do, are you willing to let go of it for the betterment of somebody else or for something else? And it'll, it'll be a test. But even then, you can't outgive God. God will bless you going in, and God will bless you coming out. Turn to Psalms 19, all of you. This is what should motivate us as far as things go. Psalms 19, verse 7. You've probably heard this before. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than silver and gold. Yea, more than much fine gold, sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. I wonder how many people would put that first. Spiritual life, His Word, the statutes of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, things like that. He said, these are more to be desired. This is what you move to find. This is what you give up something to get. It's that which God has offered, something spiritual. More to be desired are they than gold. Amen. Or Psalm 119. If you go over there just for a moment, Psalms 119 and verse 12. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. Yea, above fine gold. Well, let me ask you a question. The psalmist here who wrote this, if David wrote this particular psalm, and he had as much gold as anybody, when they built the temple, when they were building the tabernacle of God, he, he gave out of his own pocket by today's standards well past a couple of billion dollars. So David wasn't exactly broke. 
And he was able to give and enjoyed giving and delighted in giving and praised God that the people gave so much. The people gave so much. And what they had to give was given to them by the Egyptians. This is how they got started. They came out of Egypt, came over here. They had all this gold and and they started building and God kept blessing their crops and their land, protected them. They became mighty and strong and then they went into sin. But you'll find that behind all those who are thieves and all of those who are schemers and those who steal and rob in society, they have one lust in their life that's greater than any other lust, and that's money. They don't care how they get it. They just want it. And their lives are ruined by it. They are, they are uh, destroyed by it. And God says to us, don't... Don't love the world. Don't don't get all bogged down with that. Years ago, I was in Vermont, and a man there, Richard Moore. He, Richard's probably listening to this tonight or whenever he gets this message. I remember he was an IBM a, a big shot, a very intelligent man, knows the word extremely well. And I was remarking to him one time in fellowship of how advanced technology is and how forest getting down the road and how wow it is. And I remember, and he knew all that because he helped invent most of it. And he said, don't, don't get caught up in that. And I'm thinking, he said, if, if you unplug it, oh, that machine is, that's wowing you. If you unplug it, you know what? It's nothing. It's hammer dead. That's kind of true with people's lives. If you don't stay plugged into the Lord, you may have things of this world and you may be looked up to by a lot of people only because you got money, not because they like you. They don't even hang around you because they like you. They hang around you because they might get something that you've got that you work to get. So anyway, you know, I'd, I would encourage all of you to work hard, do what you can. If God gave you a good skill, use it to his glory. When you have opportunities to advance yourself and to do better, get out of debt, be able to give to others, do that. But never do anything at the expense of serving God first. Because Jesus said in this Sermon on the Mount, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things that the Gentiles seek will be added to you. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. To a man who is wicked in God's sight, he is given the task of gathering and collecting so that he can give it to one who is good. I mean, you don't have to seek it. God said it will seek you. Remember that? If you will diligently hearken unto my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings, and keep these things within your heart, then all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Then he begins, and that's... In those verses in Deuteronomy, to give you a list of 16 verses that are full of wealth and abundance. They're not earned. They're given. And if people could ever get their eyes off of money long enough in the church and quit, and quit paying so much attention to your daily struggles, and I'm just quit looking at life in this little box that the devil puts you in and look at the bigger picture. God said... God is faithful. God watches over his word. You just seek first the kingdom and let God add all of these things to your life. And he will. Now, he will because I know he will. He absolutely will. Maybe not to the degree that, that you're a rich man in the eyes of the world. But to me, I'm as rich as anybody in the world. I just am. I'm a wealthy man tonight. Not because of money, but because of what I believe. Amen. If somebody counted me by how much money I have, they'd probably pray for me, you know, in light of what the world calls rich. But I'm a, I'm a happy man. God is faithful, isn't it? Verse 22 now. Let's go back to verse 22 and 23 because this has to do with attitudes. And again, it'll deal with money here in just a moment. But it's about light and darkness. We've been talking about light and darkness in Matthew 6 in our messages here in the last couple months. And he says here, the light of the body, verse 22, is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. 
But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? All we have to do here is define what these words mean and how, as he puts them together, the message that we're supposed to get. For example, let's start with the word body. When he says the whole body shall be full of light, how many of you know he's not talking about your your physical flesh and bones, skeleton, muscles, ligaments, tendons, innards, and everything else? Because there's not enough room in there for any light to shine. You couldn't, if you put a light bulb inside anybody in here, we wouldn't see it. So he's not talking about something natural here. He's talking about something spiritual. See, your body, your body is you. You know, if the light that is in you is darkness. So he means if your whole body is full of light, that is the light that you have. If the light that you have is the light that God gives, then your whole body shall be full of light. You is the object, is the purpose of light. I mean, light was designed for you. And if light is the Word of God or the revelation that God gives that enlightens a man, then the only people that are entitled to that are the ones that God has chosen to give it to. Isaiah 55, he said, the entrance of thy words, they give light. I'm trying to think of one. There's so many of them. My, my, God, my brain is running 80 miles an hour through here in all these verses. There's one that I'm looking for. It has to do with light. If they speak not according to this word, they have no light. In that case, light for you is the revelation of the word. And that's what God holds us to. That's the only thing that he watches over to perform. He said his word goes forth out of his mouth. It doesn't come back empty because he didn't send it with empty. The word contains something. And when God sent the word out, what it contains is for you. And if you receive the word and you send it back, probably prayer or a confession, then when it comes back, it motivates God into action for you. See, the Word doesn't work for us because we read it, and it doesn't work for us because we say it. But you've got to believe it. And God knows the heart. He can see the heart. But this is, this is what I would call light. God gives light. It illuminates you. You begin to see things the way God wants you to see them. When He shows you, you see things you've never seen before, or you see things in a way you've never seen them before. Things become defined. Things become clear. You're no longer just reading through the Scripture, this or that. But you begin to see what you haven't seen before. Just like the psalmist said, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. That's the work of God in opening your eyes so that you can see what he's saying. Now, if you could not before see what God was saying, then there was a sense of darkness there. It wasn't clear. But when God opens your eyes and you begin to see things, it becomes clear. It's just like a while ago talking about money and giving. Once that comes into your heart and you can put everything in its proper place so that God is in control because you don't let anything over, it's because God has shown you how to do that. He's given you good, good reasons why you should do that or why you should be a good husband, father, wife, sister, brother, child, church member. I mean, we just begin to see it. It's not like we say, well, why do you have to? I don't like it. That's too hard. That's too long. See, that doesn't happen when you have a revelation of the purpose of the Word in the first place. God's Word has purpose. That it's designed to do something. And whatever it's designed to do, when you see it, it's like light. It's a revelation. Oh, now I understand. Like Job said, I have heard of you, but now I see you. I have a revelation of you now very clear. The words you spoke to me have made very clear to me who you are, and I am disgusted with myself. Those weren't his words, but he said, I abhor myself. And... Light, when God gives light, it means that you're being. 
your person, who you are, becomes enlightened. That's Ephesians chapter 1. You become an enlightened person. Notice he uses the word single. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, If your eye, the way you see, is single. Now, what does that mean? What would be the difference between a man with single eye and a dual eye? Well, see, again, you talk about, when you start looking at this naturally, you think, well, we've, only, we've got two eyes, but he's not talking about natural eyes and seeing this way or seeing that way. He's talking about when your eye is single, that is, you have determined that the only way you're going to look at things is God's way. Because if your eye is not single, you are double-minded. You know what a double-minded man is? In James chapter 4, you know what a double-minded man is? He's unstable in all of his ways. Double is the word di-sukos. The word sukos is the word from psyche, the mind. And di means two. He has two ways of seeing things. With his eye of intelligence, he sees what God says. But he also can see the the usefulness of what, what you say or what the world says. This is how you learn to make excuses. This is how we learn to justify why we don't do things God's way because we have been given this privilege of, well, yes, God said that. That's true. It can be changed and all of that. And I don't know exactly all the mechanics of that, but I also know that in the natural sense over here, this is true too. And a man halts and draws back from just putting his hands on the plow or staying with the plow because some of it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would I want to walk out something with a headache when I could take two aspirins? I know God said he heals. But what's wrong with two aspirins? Don't you think that God invented aspirins and gave aspirins to us so that we wouldn't have to struggle through life with headaches or pain? Of course he would give us that. We don't... This healing thing is all... See, you start thinking like that. And that's the evidence of, of what God calls that person, as smart as he thinks he is, as wise as he thinks he is, as much as everybody compliments, oh, yeah, that's good. Especially if they're preachers. And you give all these options to God. And God says, you're a double-minded man, and you're unstable in all your ways. To, and he also says that is the man who will not receive an answer to his prayer. So he changes his theology and his sermon to say this, well, God could answer prayer. And usually he doesn't because if it's not his will, he won't do it. My faith has nothing to do with whether or not God answers prayer. It all depends on whether or not God wants to. And that's error and that's deceit. That means the Word of God says that ask and you shall receive. And a man comes up and says, well, that hasn't been true down through history. Lots of good and noble people have prayed for a lot of good and noble things that they did not get. And it turned out bad for those people. So you can't think that when you pray, something's going to work simply because you prayed and quoted the Bible. Because God may not want to do that. And people sit there and listen to that kind of deceit. Most of their lives, and because it fits with what they, how they live, they assume that that's true. And somebody like myself comes along and said, that is hogwash. If God said it, he will do it. If God spoke it, he will make it good. That was the whole design of his word, to create faith that he will do all of these things. And like Paul said to the Galatians, oh foolish Galatians, who... Who has bewitched you? Who has distorted the word of God to you so that you no longer can believe it? Or you're not even sure if you can believe anything? I'm talking about 2012 now. The state of so many Christian people in this world. They're not even interested in all of that. Because they've been talked out of it. You can believe if you want to, but it doesn't matter if you believe or not. God's going to do whatever he thinks is best. And that's why people, a lot of people don't pray. That's why a lot of people aren't concerned. Well, I can't do nothing about it. I can pray, but it might not work. 
You know, if God wants to, he will. But if he doesn't, well, he just won't do it. You can't tell him that he has to because you prayed. That just makes us sit in chairs very still, very defeated, very unconcerned, and just let the world pass us by. And the light that is in us is darkness because the mind and the eye is not single, fixed, focused on God, but it's allowed to look at what God said, what the world says, and pick and choose which one you think works. And instead of living in peace and joy, you live in fear and uncertainty because you're never sure that the Almighty's Word will work. And that is one of the most tragic situations that is existing as I speak right now at whatever time it is, 8.10 p.m. on planet Earth. Everybody has a Bible. Seemed like the most bought, used, purchased, owned book in the world. And yet the content of that book is darkness to people. It's darkness. They write books about how to make it through life and how to be gifted and how to be successful and how to conquer and cope and do your best and hope for better. And people read those books. People become famous. And yet they're just settled into darkness without hope. Then you come to the gospel. Jesus said, what things soever you desire. When you pray, you believe, you get it, and you'll get it. That God is willing to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. That's light. Now, some out there in the world who write the books and make the money say, oh, that's, that's deception. No, it isn't. That's truth. You know why it's truth? Because it's not my comment. It's the Word of God. That if God said it, He'll do it. If God spoke it, He'll make it good. That's Isaiah 55. If He said it, He'll do it. If He spoke it, He'll make it good. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. The very first one he says, he forgives all your sins. And nobody argues with that. I've never heard anybody yet say, well, he might not. He could, but he might not. You know, you know, he might. What do you say? He forgives all your iniquities. Heals all your diseases. Crowns you with loving kind. Protection takes care of you and keeps you in a good place. Those are his promises. That's what he said that he will do. That's light. The entrance of God's Word not only gives light, but it gives hope, expectation. It gives joy. It's the reason you raise your hands and and put a smile on your face. It replaces the routine and the ritual. It becomes the real deal. It's because, yes, amen. I wonder if the light is going out in a lot of people's lives. I wonder if so much interest in what other angles of, you know, Christian preachers and theology and doctrines that go around, you know, there's every wind of doctrine that's going to divide the church. You know that. I wonder if people listen too much of what everybody else is saying and get confused. I wonder. I wonder if the joy and the expectancy of something has, has died down because... You saw something, you heard something from somebody else, and now you're beginning to think that God is like that. Folks, if everybody in this world suddenly fell dead, God is still true. God can always be relied on, can be trusted in, is faithful to His Word, watches over His Word to perform it. He just wants us to keep our focus single. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. We serve God. All right. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. This is the revelation that God gives. Even even if you were a slave or a hireling of some sort, you couldn't get out of whatever you were in. 
you give it your best shot with singleness of heart as unto the Lord because that's what singleness of heart is. It has to do only with the Lord, the Lord's way, the Lord's word, the Lord's statements. It has to do with God. That's the singleness of your heart. He says so there. And if while you're backing it apart, turn to Colossians chapter 3, two books over, chapter 3 and verse 22. Chapter 3 and verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as being men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. In other words, what God shows you in His Word about all of life. Jesus said, I came that you might have what? Life. Not just breathing and eating, but life as it encompasses the whole spectrum of your existence. Whatever it is, including your job, your work, who you work for, the kind of work that you do, how you work. The light that God gives you about any part of your life is whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Honor God with your life. Don't cheat, don't lie, don't steal, don't cut your boss short, don't take time off, don't be lazy, don't do this. You serve as you would Jesus Christ, who at all times knows always what you're doing and whether you're really trying or not, giving your best shot. That's what you do. I mean, this is a revelation that Christians have. I've seen so many, so much of Christianity in my life, which is so shallow and so deceitful. It's like, you know, we're just trying to do whatever we can, as little as we can, to get by and get something for nothing. Christians don't think like that. And the reason they don't think like that is because the mind is being renewed. You begin to see things the way God wants you to see it. And when you make what he says, when you make his way your way, then you set yourself in agreement with the Lord and grace, his blessing, favor flows into your life. If you want to be blessed, do things God's way. If you want to be benefited by the Lord in something, then live as though you're serving God. When you work as though the boss you have, as unto the Lord. Even in marriage. A wife submits herself to her husband as unto the Lord. It's not the husband doesn't deserve all of that. A husband doesn't deserve all the good things a wife would do for him. Why then would she do it? She would do that because that's what she would do if he was the Lord. As unto the Lord. I'm telling you what I know about this, and I've seen this, and I'll say it. People with that revelation of what the purpose of life is all about, it's serving God, growing up into Him in all things. This is how you live. This is how you look at life. Not from, it ain't fair, blah, blah, blah. You look at life from the standpoint that God called you out of darkness, brought you into His marvelous light, establishes you, puts a song in your mouth and sends you in the world as a light into the world, as a living revelation of what God can do and what God does in normal human beings. And your mouth speaks truth. And your life is a revelation to other people that you're really a Christian. This is what pleases God. This is what He wants from all of us. But it starts with light. You've got to have light and you begin to see things God's way because if you don't, there's a real problem. Go to John chapter 8. Jesus said in John chapter 8 about light and verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. What does that mean? Now, I'm sure you know, but... Doesn't it mean that Jesus is a revelation of God to the world? Not everybody saw it. They didn't have to see it. He is anyway. Whether you see it or not, He is. He said, I am the light of the world. Notice, concerning you, He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let me ask you a question. In order for me to have the light 
of life. Life that is illumined and is, can, is seeable, as God would have us see it. How do I get it? How does it come? You follow the Lord, don't you? Then he say, He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Turn over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 35. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light. Lest, are y'all listening? I am. Lest darkness come upon you. Now, he didn't say it couldn't. He said, if you want to stay out of darkness and the death that comes with it, you better stay in the light. Lest darkness come upon you, for he that walketh in darkness knoweth not where he is going. While you have the light, verse 36, believe the light, that you may be the children of light. The children whom God has shown the right way of life. The children who have hope and joy and peace in the midst of death and doom and destruction. Shining light. The world sees it and glorifies God. That's what Jesus said. Let your light so shine before the world that others will see your good works and will glorify God. Now, turn to Matthew 20. Because... Jesus said back in our text, in chapter 6, He said, If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And that same verse, He said, But if thine eye be evil, I ask you a question. What is an evil eye? An evil eye. Would that be seeing things any way that is different than the way God sees things? It would say that, and it would also mean that the way you see things affects how you think about things. We're all, we're all like that, all of us. All of us continually evaluate things, people, situations. That's what our brain is for. Our brain is, is what we use to discern, evaluate, figure out, look at things, let the thoughts come in and try to rearrange whatever we're seeing to make something out of it that's right. Figuring, th figuring things out. He said, now, if your eye be evil, it's because the light that is in you is darkness. And if the light in you, the way you're seeing things and the way you function, if it's not the way God wants, but it pleases you, how great is the darkness? I think the Bible still says, it still says in Proverbs 16 that there is a way that seemeth right. Not necessarily the way God shows us, but it seems right. It has good elements in it, but it's not the way God said to do it. It seemeth right. But what does he say about it? The end of those ways are what? Death. The way that people see things. Christianity is great for organization. We are great for, let's get together and do something. And if we do something that gets the applause of people and they like that and we build a system out of that, people are happy with it. It doesn't matter if the Bible says something different one way or the other about it. As long as people think, ah, that's great, yeah, 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 yeah. They do it and they think that, well, it must be God because look how many people follow it. And you look on the corners of, of America's cities. You got churches on every corner. You got Episcopalian, you got Baptist, you got the Methodist, and then you got the Presbyterian, you got the Assembly of God, and you got you got whatever we are, and then you got the Pentecostals, and you got all these different groups, different ideas, all of us. How do we get so different? How do we come to be named Wesleyan or Luther or whatever other name we have? Remember one time a Baptist told me, and I, if somebody tells me I'm jumping on Baptist here, I'm going to shoot you with my little gospel gun. A Baptist lady said one time about, well, we Baptists this or Baptist that. I said, uh, you go all the way back to John the Baptist? She said, yeah. I said, you know, he got his head cut off, and you all been without a head ever since. She didn't appreciate that, but it was kind of a rude argument. 
there is no valid Christian religion that is based on a man. Movements and systems are based on men because people's admiration for men is usually greater than their admiration for God. It doesn't occur to a lot of people in the church that the purpose and the function of ministry is to point people to God. They'll be persecuted for it. You and I will be called a cult or that church or you'll be called whatever because you don't do it the way the system has done it for years. We go back to what I said a while ago. God opens our eyes. We make a decision to see things that way. There's a lot of options, but I'm, I'm eliminating the options. I don't want to be a double-minded man. I do want to see things God's way. If to me he says cursing is wrong, I don't want to curse. If he says dressing seductively is wrong, I don't want to wear, I don't want to dress that. If wearing certain things is, is an indication of the world and the drive of the world, then, then I don't want to do that. A lot of people do. They disregard. I've said that enough to know that people disregard that. If whether they're here or anywhere else. That folks are going to do what they want to do anyway, but I'm going to say what I'm going to say, so we'll just fight later. I'm just saying that when you see things the way God wants you to see it, the argument's over. The argument is all over. And God knows our thoughts and He knows the, our heart. And He knows who is and He knows who isn't and He knows who will and He knows who won't. Matthew 20, the evil eye. The evil eye and the attitude that is developed by an evil eye. Let me ask you all a question before I read this. If I was a man of wealth, was going to clean up a large field out here, I had a lot of shrubbery, and I want people to go in there and chop down the shrubbery and just really just pick up stuff and clean up the field. I've got 100 acres. I'm going to do it by hand. And I came into this church and I said, how many of you at 9 o'clock in the morning, men or women, will be here? I'll pay each one of you $50 an hour if you'll work tomorrow. Or, let's say, I'll pay all of you, I'll pay all of you that will work here tomorrow $400 if you'll be here in the morning. 9 o'clock, start work. I'll give each one of you $400 for just picking up sticks. Would you do it? Would you do it? All right, start over again. How many of you would be willing to come here tomorrow and work eight hours for $1,000, picking up sticks in the grass, just picking up sticks, and, and one of you could hold a bag and put sticks in it and just and take your time, but picking up sticks. How many of you would be willing to come here and work one for one day for $1,000 and seldom sweat? Would you? Would you be happy with that? Now, I'm asking you, would you be willing to do that? All right, change it. Tomorrow, I want all of you that were willing to come here tomorrow, I'm going to pay each one of you, children and parents, whoever, all of you, $1,500 each, you, your children, $1,500 each one day to pick up sticks and shrubbery in my field. How many of you would do it? I'm, I'll go broke if I keep going and I get up to 20000 All right, then you said that. Now, at noon, I go down to the Baptist church. Let's say they have a, some kind of a gathering there. And I say, how many of you would be willing to work the rest of the day from noon till 6 o'clock for $1,500? Picking up sticks. They would, how many of them would say, yeah. Well, yeah, imagine. Okay. And then at 3 in the afternoon, I go out to Living Waters, and I say, how many of you here would be willing to pick up sticks for the next three hours for $1,500? Would they? Of course they would. And so then at uh, 5 o'clock, I still need a little help in my field. I got one hour's work left. One hour's work after I go down to the Presbyterian church and I say, I need somebody to help me for one hour in my field for $1,500. How 
how many of you will work for one hour for $1,500? So they come into work. Is that fair? Is it right? Is it okay? Why? Wait a minute. Some guys only worked an hour and got as much as you that worked eight hours. Let's read the story. You know where it's going. You've already read it. Chapter 20. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder which went out early in the morning to hire laborers to pick up sticks. I mean, to work in his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for $1,500 a day, it says here a penny. I know you wouldn't do it for that. For a certain amount of money for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, apparently they were happy with what he offered them. All right. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, go you down to the vineyard and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. And again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. At about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man is hired us. He said to them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. So when evening was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his servants, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. When they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man $1,500. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more because they worked longer, worked harder, but they likewise received $1,500. And when they had received it, they murmured, Against the good man of the house. Now, the idea behind murmuring is complaining. This society would march. There'd be a tent erected and people who don't want to work would be in a tent village somewhere. But, excuse me, they murmured against the good man of the house saying, These last have worked only one hour. But you have made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Man, it was hot today, and we worked hard and long, and all of these hours, and and you gave them the same amount of money you gave us. They only worked one hour, and that was in the evening when the sun was gone down. Uh, They said, it's not fair. It's not right. There's a whole lot of theology here. but, But he answered one of them and said, friend... I do need I do thee no wrong. Did you not agree to work for fifteen hundred dollars? Wasn't that great for you to make fifteen hundred bucks in one day? Didn't you think it was a good deal? Didn't you? You said, Yeah. Well, take what is yours and go your way. I will give in to this last even as unto you. Verse fifteen. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? How many of you believe that God is sovereign? Multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of Christians do have a problem with God being sovereign. Because multitudes and multitudes and multitudes think it's not fair for a sovereign God to do as he pleases in the kingdom of men. There was one man who crawled on his hands and knees for seven years until he learned that. He crawled on his hands and knees for seven years as a madman until he learned that God does as he pleases in the kingdom of men. And he said to these people, I have done you no wrong. Did you not agree to work with, with me for a certain amount? Weren't you happy making 1500 bucks in one day? Did, I mean, weren't you excited about that? And can I not, if I so choose, go out and hire a man to work five minutes and give him the same amount if I want to? Is it not lawful for me to do what I want with mine? You don't have any right to mine. This is what God says. You have no right to tell God what's right or wrong with what he's got. It's all his. We don't have a right to murmur and complain about things like that. We're grateful recipients of grace. We're living and breathing. We're alive in this world. We don't even deserve that. 
And when God gives you things that he gives you, and, and we murmur about it, it's Numbers 11 and verse 1. And when God heard them complain and murmur, then God was angry and judged his people. Numbers 11, read it. Not now. But God says, I've called you to work and do this. And again, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is your eye evil because I'm good? There was an evil eye. Didn't it say evil eye? Is your eye evil? Then what's it mean with an evil eye? It's an attitude, isn't it? Are you not looking at something your way and complaining about what God is doing is not like this? The way you see things is it's not the way God sees things. You said you would work. Now you're complaining because somebody else who worked got equal pay. What if I was a school teacher? I used to be for years. A school teacher. I sign a contract every year. They give you a contract and you sign that these are the conditions I will work under. This, 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 and so. And uh, I agree to these terms. Tom Hamilton. Now, if I signed that and I committed myself to the agreement that the school gave me, we're going to pay you. First year, Bonnie and I taught school. We made uh, 80, what, $8,700, both of us. That's with college degrees. We signed at the bottom line. We will work for that amount of money. We will be glad to get that. Now, if somebody, some hothead comes up and says, I never had this happen, but somebody comes up and said, we want more money. This ain't fair. That's just a school down the road makes, makes $10,000 more a year each one than we do. Let's strike. Does a Christian have a right to strike? What if the Christian doesn't join the rest of them and strike? What becomes to him? He becomes a target of persecution, doesn't he? And you will suffer. If you live godly, you do what is right, you will suffer for it. There will be times that things similar to that could happen. They put the piece of paper in my one day. If every teacher would sign up for Blue Cross and Blue Shield, they would get it for less than half or whatever they did. And I was a Christian. And the principal came in. Mr. Reese came in and said, hey, I need you to sign this. I said, what is it? He said, it's a Blue Cross thing. We can." And I said, well, I, I, I can't. How many of you believe this is not real popular? Because most people will just to avoid controversy or to, be, or to avoid being singled out. Well, see, I wasn't that smart. I used to be smart, and I, I would have signed it when I was smart. Then when I got saved, I, I didn't see it the way the world sees it, so you're not smart anymore. You're ignorant. So in my ignorance, I said, uh, I, can't, I can't sign that. Why is that? I was sitting down. He's a big fellow too. He looked down and said, "Why is that?" I said, "Because I, because I believe that God is my healer and He'll take care of me." You know what he did? When he got out of the sight of me, he signed my name down there, and they, so that everybody could get it for. I didn't sign it. He did. People think you are absolutely weird and strange. That because of your church and your religion, you become so different. And yet, that's how I what? Say, see it. See it. This has been given to me as a way to look at that. And this is how I see it. And if I see it, then I'm obligated to live that way. Oh, praise God. And he, Listen to what he said finally at this verse. He said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. There are going to be a lot of people called. Are you here? A lot of people are called, but only a few are going to be chosen. Make sure you're one of the chosen. Amen. Not the frozen chosen, but the chosen. Amen. Listen, God is for us. God is on our side. It's the goodness of God that brings us together to show us His way. He won't make you walk this way. He won't prevent you from making excuses and, uh, and, and saying you're not ready for this or you can't right now or that's too... He won't prevent you from saying it. He'll just simply bring us here and out of His goodness, His grace will condescend on a building like this and open eyes and show us things that are right. 
We have been chosen to have a revelation. That we've been called to have that. But not everybody will heed it. Not everybody will say, well, I, uh, a lot of folks, good people say, well, you know, I don't, I don't know about that. Well, what don't you know? Well, I don't, just don't know about it. Well, tell me what you don't know. I don't know about that. That's their way out. We're on a journey that's going to end with heaven. We want to make sure we keep our hands on the plow. We want to keep our hearts right and our eyes single. And next week, we've got to deal with anxiety and stress and worry. That sinful thing that man does. Oh, bow your heads with me. Father, in Jesus' name. May your word bear fruit as you plant it tonight in whatever heart it was planted in. May we give heed to it. May we have the courage and the foresight tonight to realize that we have been blessed to hear the truth. And yet it's not true because the preacher said it, but if my Bible says it, that is the truth. I pray you deal with everybody that is assembled here tonight, Lord. The weary, the tired, whoever. This journey isn't over yet. Our feet must stay one step in front of the other one for the rest of our lives. We must keep our hands on the plow. We must trust the Lord to bring us through. I ask you to bless us that way through the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.